My name is TJ Gamble, and you have tuned in to the e-commerce happy hour, where we're here to help you get more from your e-commerce store. Now, I today, I'm breaking out the Basil Hayden. It's a little bit of Kentucky small batch. Um, I, I was in the Netherlands last week, so we didn't have a live stream, but thanks for joining. I've got a great guest lined up today, someone I actually met in the Netherlands. And please welcome uh, Dwayne Ernest, VP of Sales and Strategic Partnerships at MageMail. Dwayne, welcome to the live stream. How are we doing, guys? Glad to be here. Thank you so much for having me, TJ. I am drinking an aged 10-year batch of Henry McKenna. And I do not go with the ice. I like to use a mason jar. Look at him. He's go he's 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 much more of a man than I am. Like a big grizzly bear. Room well, in my office, mason jar. In my office they offered me up gin and I said, um actually clear I took a line from Ron Swanson and said, uh, clear liquor is for uh, rich women on diets. So um decided to go with the bourbon. <laughs> <laughs> Well, I, oh, I wanted man. to bring you on. I mean, the, the Meet Magento Netherlands was a lot of fun. Obviously, we're going to talk about email segmentation, personalization, automation. But I wanted to talk about uh, Meet Magento Netherlands, which is, again, I, I got to announce you and, and your talk on stage, which I think yours was probably one of two names I actually got correct. Um, so thank you for giving me a nice, easy name to announce um, so that I, I feel like, you know, small victories, man. You just got to just kind of enjoy the small victories. Yeah, take them when they come. Um, thank you for not saying D Wayne. <laughs> <laughs> um, no, it was great. Um, I don't know if you saw the sheer horror on my face. It was supposed to be a 10 minute conversation. Um, and then right before I got on stage, uh, Keto told me that it was uh, 25 minutes. So, um, yeah, that was fun. <laughs> yeah, I forgot about that. Yeah, he, you came up and you're like, um, I'm like, you got, I was telling, I was telling you the format. I'm like, you've got like 25 minutes and then we're going to do a five minute Q&A. And you're like, yeah, no problem. This is a 10 minute presentation. So you, I think you managed to stretch it with questions to like 22, 23 minutes. So you did good. Yeah, not bad. Um, it was like the Netherlands. I didn't realize um, how great of an audience they were. Um, most of the merchants I got to speak with were well versed in Magento. Um, they knew what they were looking for, and there was a great group of just vendors there. Um, not only the vendors, there was a great group of developers, and that's the one thing that's really attracted me since I became a part of this community is just how passionate um, the Magento development community is and the merchants. Well, you're, you're brand new to the community, right? Uh, you joined Mage Mail right before Imagine. Four days before, got tossed in uh, the deep end. <laughs> <laughs> so you've, you've either come in into a really scary time or a really exciting time, depending on how the whole Adobe acquisition goes. But you definitely have, have joined the community at a very interesting time period. Yeah, um, it's a lot of it just seems there's a lot of exciting things happening. Um, First initial reaction on any unknown is, oh my God, what's going to happen? Uh, but I, after you listen to how Adobe's acquired other companies and they didn't really lose their culture, um, more power to it. Uh, Adobe's a great company to partner with and be bought out by. So, hey, I think it's going to be a great relationship. 
Absolutely. Uh, guys, if you're watching, go ahead and keep posting posting your questions in the chat. Let us know what you think. Uh, give us a hard time. If you think I shouldn't be drinking my whiskey with ice, let me know. Um, but, you know, <laughs> let's get some chat interaction going. You guys get to steer this conversation much more than I do. I've got some talking points outlined, but they're boring. If you want the exciting stuff, you need to let us know. So please post in chat. Let us know what you want us to talk about. So Meet Magento Netherlands, I, I want to touch on that. We we stayed for a couple of days afterwards, and I, I, I want to thank you for a very fine meal and I don't, uh, countless bottles of wine. I'm not really sure how many we drank, but I, I think that – I want to apologize. I think that started as a I'm going to buy a couple of bottles of wine and turned into a I'm going to buy dinner for everyone kind of event. Well, you know, we're there to, to make a name for ourselves, but I also – had the opportunity to sit with just great people really understand, you know, the Magento community and just get, get to know everybody. Um, so, you know, buying bottles of wine, I've always found that, you know, if you're, if you have bottles of wine circulating, people are going to talk. And we had some funny, funny conversations. I mean, we're, you're a card yourself, you know, um, you add in, uh, Marsha and, and, and your wife, Joe, um, to the fun, to the funniest people and actually made my trip, you know, so it was, it was great learning how people were applying and working with different vendors. Um, had a lot of people asking actually what we do at Mage Mail. Um, but that was a beautiful sitting right there on one of the many canals in, in Utrecht. Yeah, it was a it was a beautiful venue, a beautiful city. Uh, it, it was a lot of great people. There were a lot of people from the U.S. over, including Marsha from Mage Mojo. This broadcast brought to you by Mage Mojo, just because they paid me ten dollars and sent me some stickers for the back of my laptop. But um, it, it was it was a fun time. Now you got to be careful hanging with Marsha. There's there's two things about what really one thing about Marsha you absolutely have to know. She's always going to ask for just a little more than you actually want to give. If you want to go to bed at two, she's trying to get you to stay up till three. If, if, you know, if you want to just go sightsee, she's trying to get you to walk to the top of Dom tower, which is like <laughs> 400 and something steps. And so she will, she will always push you to be just a little bit outside of your comfort zone. And I, I think she did that for both of us while we were in the Netherlands. Yeah, absolutely. Um, Halfway up the Dom Tower, the question was asked, whose idea was this? <laughs> it was instantly, it's Marsha's. <laughs> it was definitely Marsha's. Aaron in chat here uh, giving us a woot, Marsha. Um, I, I got to play with my new technology here, so I have to show the, you can actually see the comments on, on the screen. So keep those questions coming and we'll keep showing them. But you gave a talk on on personalization on Mage Mail. Um, I, I think a lot of our audience is aware of Mage Mail and, and its history. You know, being founded by Kaylin um, Kaylin Jordan. For those that may not know, which is a prominent community member, uh, he's the co-host of Mage Talk, which is uh, the I think the only, definitely the biggest Magento community podcast. And so, very very well known individual started the company, uh, and then uh, recently it was. I guess a year, two years ago, I'm not sure how, how long ago now, kind of, kind of sold it off. And now they've brought you in to, to help grow that company. Yeah. Um, I'm coming in at a very exciting time. Uh, we were purchased. We, we bought Mage Mail from Kalen about 2016 and we've really been focused on adding on the great, uh, 
platform that he's built, just adding in features and functionality and really getting feedback from the market. And since Kalen's been out of the picture for about two years now, we have really, um, we're ready to take that next step and grow up. Um, so as we're, we're actively growing and onboarding customers, we're, we're learning from the feedback we get from them. Um, I ran a survey earlier in the week because I wanted to see who had the most dynamic emails. And I pulled a lot of emails from our customers and I reached out to the top five. And I was like, hey, wh- how are you doing this so great? So it's, it's been fun. It's exciting, growing and learning from just everyone. Now you, uh, Kalen, obviously started the company as Magento only. Are you still Magento only? Is that the, the long-term plan? I mean, there, there seems to be a lot of advantages to branching out. What are the, what's the roadmap look like for MageMail? Absolutely. And that's, that's a great question. So the roadmap, you know, as of right now, we're going to stay deeply integrated with Magento. We want to get very good at doing something, one thing right. We want to be the, the top at what we're doing right now. And if we can hone in on Magento and becoming the, one of the best email automated solutions out there and very prominent in the community, then you know, that is, that's our overall goal right now. As far as branching out to WooCommerce and, and Shopify, yeah, obviously we'd like that revenue and it's a, it's a different stream. But hey, let's get really good for our customers now in this community and then we'll figure that out that piece later. So is that is that the big advantage to sticking to one platform is that you can go deeper with that integration and just make sure it's a little more seamless experience? Well, yeah, I mean, Magento does a great job of pulling in data and being able to figure out how to utilize that data to to best position customers to, to garnish more revenue. Um, we there's we're still pouring through it, right? There's so much that we can do. Um, from analysis perspectives and account audits that we're able to, we know that if we, if we spread ourselves too thin, we won't be able to provide as much value right up front. So I think it's, I think it's the right move. Um, and further down the road, obviously, you know, we're going to branch, but not right now. Um, we're focused on doing this mage mail, right. For the Magento community. I got you. Eric in the chat here tells me to boost my audio a little bit. Apparently, I'm running a little low. This is new software. We haven't quite got the balance figured out. I think maybe you're a little louder than I am. I just cranked it up a little bit there, Eric. Let me know in the chat if it's any better. If not, I'll get DJ over here to scramble and try to work on it. Um, so uh, there, there, are a lot of, there are a lot of email service providers out there. There are a ton of them that are Magento partners. Uh, and so what's, what's MageMail's main advantage? Like where, where do you stand out versus those competitors and why would I choose you? Um, great. That's a great question. So, I mean, where we stand with our competitors, we are not just an ESP. We, we white label ESPs like Nailgun, MailChimp, SendGrid. Ultimately, we are a hands-on marketing solution that's pretty seamless to what you're trying to do. You can drag and drop and build um, intuitive email campaigns. It's very easy to set up segmentation and A-B testing um, and really become personalized. But where we fit into the market is there are companies out there that have a full suite of things that will never be used by a customer. Most of our customers that we found and we've honed some of our triggers down um, only use probably about 60% of our products, right? 
So when you look at larger, larger companies, we realize they've built these beautiful customized uh, triggers and not everybody's going to use them. So it kind of what differentiates us and makes us uh, feasible in the market is more of just we're cost effective. We're young and hungry and we don't really care about what size your business is because if we're doing what we're, we say that we're going to do for you and grow your business and revenue with and abandoned carts and transactional emails, we're going to help you get to that next level. So we look for customers anywhere from, you know, 500,000 store revenue all the way up to 40 to 50 million, depending on where they're at in their marketing. That's where we fit. It really comes down to easy use. Okay. Uh, so, I mean, got... Go ahead. That's all right. So uh, what we really find is most, most marketers that are either new to Magento or they're younger store owners, it's they, they are wearing too many hats and being able to alleviate a complex marketing automation solution and making it very easy allows them to focus on higher value products while being able to focus in on bringing on what really matters is, you know, ROI, keeping your customers happy, continuing your brand story after they leave your website. It definitely makes sense. And and just so everyone out there knows, we're using new software on the live stream today. So we've got a, a little more of a delay uh, in between uh, ourselves. So um, we may step on each other's toes a little bit, but this is a casual live stream. It's fine. So uh, you're the partnership guy for MageMail. Like you're, you're, the, you're that guy. So Aaron in the chat says, any upcoming partnerships on the MageMail horizons? Well, I'm still waiting for um, Jamerson to to politely take me out to dinner. <laughs> so, um, no, huge partnerships on the, on the roadmap. Um, connected really well with Ignacio over there at Interactive 4. They do some great work. Um, if you haven't checked out their website over there in Spain, um, they do great work. We're, that's, that's on the roadmap here in the near future. Um, working with Marsha, trying to figure out how to to become a better better partner with Mage Mojo as well. So we got a we got a ton of um, partnership opportunities out there. We're not really we're we're vetting some of them. We want to make sure that we're partnering with the right people. Um, but we also want to make sure that what we offer will benefit them as well. So what are you looking for in partnerships? Like you know, obviously the best partnerships are mutually beneficial. So, you know, what are you trying to if you're trying to partner, you know, obviously you just mentioned some SI some agencies and you also mentioned a hosting provider. You know, how do you how do you go about finding out which one of those are most beneficial for your business and how do you, you know, provide benefit to them? What well, kind of understanding understanding where their customers are at? you know, where their pain points are. So for instance, I, I, I was talking to a couple of people and I know that dot mailers out there, they're really big and it's usually a typically one of the first solutions, you know, offered up, which is fine. Um, and, and they should be, they're a great company they have a great solution. When I look for partnerships and where I know I can provide the most value is those customers that are really struggling to execute an ineffective email marketing strategy. And finding the ones that, you know, are just ready to make that next step or have no clue what they're, what they're really setting out to do. That's, that's where I'm focusing my team right now 
um, on, you know, better onboarding to strengthen those relationships. So when I talk to partners, I want to know, I want to know about their customers that they are concerned about, not necessarily the top dollar customers. I want to know the customers that they, they value their business. They want to see it grow. And then I can actually see if I can provide value. Typically I can. So you can. You brought up dot mailer and, and there again, a lot of, a lot of, and, and ESP is probably not the right term to use, obviously, but, uh, email marketing automation tools, you, you've got dot mailer, which is a fantastic system. It's, it's really robust, a ton of functionality. And then you've got customers like, or, uh, pr- products like Springbot, which we love over in Atlanta that really focus on customer service and making it really automated and easy for those smaller merchants. Merchants that just don't have time, knowledge, or resources to do it. They their their process, their program really just kind of handles a lot of that for for merchants. You know, how do you how do you stand in there? You know, how do you kind of compare to to those? Like, are you are you more on the the smaller market, really um, looking for someone that maybe doesn't know what they're doing, and you provide that hands on approach? Or are you really going more towards a robust tool that that a professional that really knows what they're doing can get in there and, and properly leverage? Ideally, both. Both customers provide the same value, right? Obviously, one's going to garnish more ROI. But my goal here, as we as we, one of the key areas identified is if we become the solution that when we onboard you. We set the right expectations. We set you up for success before you even get started. Um, we're obviously looking for your approval when we set triggers, but we want to make sure that when you start live with us and your campaigns are ready to go, that everything's set. And then, you know, a month later we do a real account audit. I always keep my line open. I had a customer from Singapore call me about 1am last night. We were up until about two 30 and I was just helping them through segmentation. He had too big of a list. He wasn't sure where to go with it. And, you know, after hammering out what actually he needed, you know, that's, that's the way that I want to interact with my customers. So, you know, as far as Springbok goes, they do have a great, you know, out of the box features, which we have, we have that very hands-on hands-on marketing, but drag and drop, um, our WYSIWYG editor makes it, um, very, very easy to switch campaigns globally and locally. Um, and provide different looks and feels for the customers you're looking to target. But ultimately, I want to train my customers. I want I want to be the asset, not necessarily the tool as well. I understand, and and we're not we're not here to we're not here to sell things. We're here to provide value yeah. to people who watch this this video. So, I, but I want to you know one more question, kind of about MageMail before we start getting into just kind of some email tips in general. Uh, and, and what does if I'm a merchant? How do I know that I'm the right fit or MageMail is the right fit for, for me? What, what does your ideal customer look like? And I know before you answer, everybody wants every customer. But what does that <laughs> like can't miss ideal customer look like for you? I would probably say between one and 15 million. Um, and someone, that, someone, that's, someone that knows and understands that need. And is ready to ready to go. That's my ideal customer. 
So someone who's ready to be aggressive and kind of, you know, make an improvement and push, but they've got, you know, they kind of got the business off the ground and they're ready to take that next step. Absolutely. Okay. Yeah. Uh, so let's let's talk about email marketing or email automation. Uh, you know what are what are some things that you're consistently seeing merchants do wrong with their email that that just to you is like this is obvious. Why would anybody do this? Uh, this is a problem, and you should correct it. Or and I guess that could be what are they not doing as well? Um, what what are you running into every day that just makes you scratch your head? Uh, bad merge fields. <laughs> um, I, I jokingly, when I first got here, I sent about a thousand emails, uh, or I sent a thousand emails with bad merge fields and a thousand with uh, correct merge fields. Cause I noticed as I did an audit of campaigns that that was the number one. So I wanted to see what uh, a new marketer had to go through to get that right. And since then we've actually improved our product that way, right? Is how do we make this easier? Cause it's such a simple mistake to make. Um, but it's, it's a difference of hi or hi, Bob, when your name's Jen, you know, or what company you're with and being able to effectively personalize emails in a quick manner. Um, I see that happen nonstop. So, so I mean, making sure that. For those that maybe are not familiar with email marketing, when you say bad merge fields, it's basically pulling data into the wrong blanks in your template is, is what you're saying. Absolutely. Yeah. Okay. Um, pulling the wrong data, putting it in the wrong spot. Sometimes you'll see titles and companies wrong. They'll have old information. So basically not an updated database is, is one of the struggles there. Yeah, and I, you always, I mean, I get those emails a lot where it's, you know, dear, and, and sometimes where there's like nothing entered, it's like dear, and then you see the slug that is supposed to be replaced with your name and that kind of thing. All of that, I, I would have, as many as of those as I get, I assume that's a, that's a huge problem. Yeah, yeah, it's, it's, it's for new marketers, that's something very simple to make. And then it, the, the good thing about that it's not hard to bounce back from. I think most, most people's attention spans when it comes to emails that are sent the wrong way, it's probably forgot about in two weeks. So if you make a mistake, don't worry, you'll have more opportunities to actually earn that business and become more personalized. Aaron in the Uh, chat asks, uh, I wonder if you could go a little more in depth on your reporting tools. On our analytics. Absolutely. Um, it depends what you're looking to, to, to learn about. I mean, if you're looking to understand key data points to target customers, say, um, I had talked about this in my speech in the Netherlands, but I, I just worked on that account this morning. We had a customer that was trying to get rid of uh, a subpar product or subperforming product. And in our analytics tool, we were able to identify key users that fit the same demographic so ultimately, we're looking to get rid of uh, aviator sunglasses. Um, so we looked at you know males between 22 and 26. We found that they, most of these males that have purchased orders like that, those set of sunglasses in the past six months, they really lived about 50 miles out of the closest metro city area. Um, and we actually found product reviews from that sub-performing product with customers that fit that. So when it comes to our analytics tool, it really depends on what you're actually looking to get from it. If you 
So what we, we, we've done effectively is starting to pull that information out of customers. You know, you got to know your goals and your KPIs before we really get into how our analytics work and how you can utilize them to uh, grow. Yeah, if you've got more specific questions there, Aaron, yeah, if you got more specific questions, please ask them in, in the chat. And, and again, I apologize. We've got a little bit of a delay here. So um, we're, we're definitely still getting used to the software and not stepping on each other's toes. Um, so, you know, feel free to post in the chat if you have a more in-depth question. So you talk about segmentation and you, and you talked about segmentation at your Meet Magento Netherlands speech. And, and most merchants I talk to don't segment their customers at all. Like they don't, that's just not even something they're doing the bare minimum if they're doing anything at all. And so they don't even really think about customer segmentation and they don't understand how they should be segmenting those customers. So Maybe you can give us some basics of how people should be segmenting their list. Maybe something that that applies to everyone, some low-hanging fruit that anyone who happens to stumble across this video could apply and and actually make a difference in their email marketing. Absolutely. If you haven't started segmenting your email list, don't worry. You're not alone. I think it's roughly 52% of marketers have uh, have a great need and have identified a great need to segment their email database. So we really like to keep it simple right off the bat. If I have a customer that doesn't quite know how to segment their list or they've tried, we really start with product reviews and customer reviews or product recommendations and customer reviews. And then we start tying in like-minded individuals, running A-B tests, and also finding the value of what those customers have brought in in the past six months. So if I make a recommendation to a client, it's always start with those two areas. Keep it very simple. See what kind of data you have. Um, run the test. See what works. Move forward. The, the biggest part in this is I find customers are afraid to fail. And as I had mentioned before, if you make a mistake, no one's going to notice in two weeks. So when it really comes to getting this right, and the beauty of A-B testing is we allow you, it allows you to fail quicker, faster, and learn from your mistakes. So you, you mentioned segmenting based on reviews. Like, give, give me a, a concrete example of how that works. Are we, we segmenting customers that maybe have made a review versus haven't made a review? Is that, is that just kind of what you're doing? Or Yeah, you can even go a little bit further. Customers that have left a review, customers that haven't. Um, and you can also, you know, put that up against customers that have purchased products and customers that haven't. Um, another, another quick way to do that is the ones that have left the reviews and the ones that haven't see what they've abandoned in their carts. So you can see if they have like-minded products and then that's where those product recommendations, um, will come in handy. So like, why would, why would you, why would you target people who have made reviews? Are they more likely to buy from you again? Or how would your, is it, how would your message differ to them versus just any old customer or someone on your newsletter? Like I'm trying to, trying to make sure I understand the strategy around why that customer, obviously they're more special. They bought something they reviewed, but how is that customer more special than, than any other customer? Well, they're brand advocates, right? They've taken it upon themselves to tell you why your product's great, why they would choose your product versus a competitor. Start there, start with your cheerleaders, right? And turn, you can take those customer reviews and brand advocates and build more brand advocates. 
that's ultimately what you want, right? You want people to talk about your product. You want them to share it. Um, I think, I think everybody that's purchased a product, if they really like it, whether or not they've left a review, if they've told 10 to 20 people about it. So having those reviews just kind of gets that bug of, of sharing, you know, this is why I bought this product. This is what I love about it. I mean, I'm a fanatic when I look, when I purchase something, I have to read all the reviews. And I think it makes a better purchasing decision. makes you feel more comfortable um, purchasing something online because no one wants to return stuff. I have, uh, oh God, I probably have like five or six things sitting in my back room at home that because um, I didn't read the reviews, it doesn't fit and just returning it into hassle. So um, it makes you more comfortable. So that's why you would start there. You know, you have someone talking about your product in, in great light. Okay, let's let's talk about personalization for a second, and, and just kind of a, a note on a lot of merchants I talk to don't understand personalization and, and what they think is is personalization. They understand that it's serving unique content to each of your visitors based on something, but a lot of companies say they do personalization, and people start thinking about these big data AI driven personalization engines and all of this stuff. But a lot of people I talk to when they use the term personalization, they're basically talking segmentation. They're basically talking segmenting users based on some criteria and then serving that group of users content, uh, you know, based on that criteria. Is that kind of how MageMail approaches it or is personalization something more involved for you? It can be more involved, but you kind of, you kind of broke it down to the bare bones, right? So you use your segmentation become to make sure that your messages, messaging's in line with the customers you want to reach out to. So by understanding that you're delivering content to like-minded individuals, it gives you the opportunity to, to, to talk to them on a more personal level versus, you know, sending out a bulk email about nine inch red high heels that have five different customer views. When you're actually talking to, men in their forties that wear Hawaiian shirts and flip flops, <laughs> you know, so, <laughs> and I've seen it happen. <laughs> yeah. And, and I'm sure you've gotten an email that way as well as most of, most of the people listening right now. So in a sense, yeah, it starts with the segmentation and that, cause you can't sit down and draft a personal email to 500,000 people in your newsletter list or 30,000 people in your newsletter list. Um, I don't have that much time. I don't know anybody that does. Um, so being able to group people that are like-minded and being able to deliver a message that's powerful to them, um, it really increases your marketing efforts. It, a lot of it doesn't go to waste. It's not falling on deaf ears. Now, I'm assuming that you can do one-to-one -one personalization to a degree where you might be able to pull in products someone viewed or um, related products to something they've purchased or maybe something they've abandoned in their cart. Uh, will, will MageMail handle those kind of cases? Absolutely. Um, you can actually set that up and automate it, right? So once you segment your list... Um, customers that have purchased, you will recognize their buying behavior and purchase history. Um, so I have customers that I'll take that segmented list and they know that, Hey, every six months, this customer buys this product or buys a product similar. So three months in advance, they'll start using product reviews and product recommendations as part of a drip campaign that's personalized to them. 
Um, and then it's automated. So being able to, to showcase that, you know, week after week, you can bring them back to the top of your funnel a month early. You can also find that if you do this properly, you're going to get, you know, probably one to two more purchases within that buying cycle. Um, as it's, I'd say about 25% statistically possible in that, in that regards. Using product reviews on order confirmations is probably one of the savviest things to do. Let's talk about the really big elephant in the room lately that everyone is kind of worried about, but they don't know how worried to be, and that is GDPR. And and I know you guys are an international company. You're not. You don't have customers just in the U.S. So I've, I'm going to kind of go ahead and ask both parts of this question right off the bat. But how do you see your customers being affected by GDPR? And then what should companies in non-GDPR areas like the U.S. As what should they be doing right now to make sure that they're ready for, for whatever comes of it? You know, this is a, it's a funny question is I don't know how many emails you've looked at. Um, we're all getting bombarded with GDPR. Please sign here. Um, and I think most customers just automatically accept, uh, being, being a global company, you know, obviously in dealing with transactional emails, it is a focus um, and helping customers actually establish what needs to be done. I think it's a lot of a gray area, but it's what we're finding with our customers is forcing people to establish, it forces them to establish stronger relationships, right? Because you're asking for them to opt back in when they've already opted into your service. It also gives you the opportunity to clean your list, um, become more segmented and personalized. And Will it be a little bit more difficult to market? Yeah, yes and no. Um, I've seen it done where you click almost like the allow for cookies at the top. I've also seen that and then from the same website, an email come to me. And when it comes to companies that are not operating um, globally, we were laughing. Our electric company actually sent us a GDPR notice that they updated their terms and services. So I think it's, I think it's actually, it's going to be a good thing overall, right? Where our data is going to be a little bit protected. Um, we now have rights as customers or consumers that it's our data and we get to choose what's, what we can do with it. Um, and I think, you know, it'll ultimately, as, as you start weeding out and cleaning your list, because you're getting people to opt back in, you're engaging them. It gives you another reason to engage them. And most likely it'll lead to a stronger relationship and more revenue. Um, what, what the biggest issue is uh, decisions on which emails are marketing and which ones are operational, right? Is a newsletter, newsletter operational or is it marketing? Is order confirmations, are those marketing or is that operational? It's not entirely clearly defined, right? Obviously the intent when a customer makes a purchase um, that they're authorizing you to at some extent market to them. We see many many companies, um, most that are global, just updating global, their terms and conditions and privacy policies for everyone. Um, and I think that's just a good practice. Um, even if GDPR, if you're not in a GDPR region, but your business is one of those is in one of those regions that you you might be on the cusp where you're making a, looking to make a next step in the Europe or a GDPR com- country or country. Um, it's good to just start being compliant. 
Yeah, I've seen a lot of companies, like our local newspaper, I tried to pull it up while I was in the Netherlands. They just completely <laughs> shut down access to someone that's not in the U.S. And that seems, if you're in e-commerce and you're trying to sell things, that seems like a bit of an extreme strategy for most people. Um, so it's definitely better to go ahead and start preparing. Uh, the The likelihood of you being that first person sued is, is unlikely, but um, you don't really know what those ramifications are going to be. So why not start getting ready for it? Um, because like you said, it, it's definitely, it's a good thing for everybody to, to allow the user to have control over their data. So why not provide it just as a service? Yeah. And it, it saves on your marketing efforts as well. And that goes back to being able to clean your list very quickly, right? Cause why are you going to, why are you going to spend your time sending emails to customers that haven't engaged you in the past two years? but they're still on your email database, right? Um, so don't, don't be all hysterical about it. Embrace it. It's, it's going to help you improve your marketing efforts. It's going to help you improve those relationships. I'm just curious, though. Like, I, we just set up the Insider Club for this live stream. By the way, should be a link in the description for the Insider Club if you're interested. Um, we're going to do some fun things there. I'm, I'm working on some branded products like a whiskey ice ball mold or glasses and coasters and just, just you know, alcohol-related things because this is the e-commerce happy hour. Um, but we just signed up for that or just set that up. It, it's kind of basic right now, but there's a lot of who to jump through to get on that mailing list. Like you've got to really want it. And I'm curious as to what kind of effect that's going to have long-term um, about people getting on to, to mailing list. For instance, I, I downloaded a white paper today that, that some other agency has created because I'm nosy and it seemed like a good white paper. And, and, you know, it was pretty easy. I just put in my email address and boom, I'm on. There's no double opt-in. There's no anything like that. And and, and I'm assuming that once GDPR is in full effect, that that's going to cut down on a lot of that easily or accidentally getting onto someone's mailing list. And, and it'll be curious to see what kind of impact that has on merchants when, when it just dramatically decreases the conversion of people that want to get on your list because there's so many hoops. And I have a couple of customers now that are starting to segment you know, US-based customers, ones that are not in GDPR countries. So that way they can eliminate steps. I mean, no one likes a couple of steps to, to purchase something, right? Or to open an email. Um, I'm now starting to get in-mails around GDPR and cookies along with the email sent like uh, simultaneously. It's, it's, I don't, it's obviously gonna provide us some barrier. But if you if you're relaying the right content to the right people at the right time, um, Pamela Vaughn said this. She's a HubSpot principal marketing manager. Um, your subscribers are automatically going to read your content because every time that you've sent them something, it's interesting to them. So they're always going to want to look at it and read it and open it. So having that extra barrier for for your core customers, your repeat business, you're not going to see a decline in that. Um, new customers come to your site in a couple of months, it's just going to be common behavior. Um, so that barrier is not going to, not really going to be there. I mean, think about the can spam act. Um, God, what was that? 17 years ago, 18 years ago. I mean, how much, how much business was lost from that ultimately? 
not too much by legitimate businesses. Yeah. Well, the so, spammers uh, either because they just ignored it. So if the prince of Nigeria emails you and says he needs money, <laughs> you go ahead and send it to him because he's the prince of a country. His father yeah. ran it. He's a big deal. You definitely need to you know, follow his <laughs> instruction. You can't disobey a direct order from a prince. I know. That's my saying. <laughs> we got Thomas in the chat here asking. Uh, he, he says it loves the Mage Mail blog. Uh, there's some great blog posts on there. I, I can attest to that. And he wants to know what you think about sending more than one abandoned cart email. Send once and multiple, which gets back to one of the questions I had outlined here, which is what are the best practices <clears throat> around abandoned cart emails? Um, one, send them. You wouldn't believe how many companies out there do not send enough abandoned carts. Two, you want to find a sequence that works best for you. Um, what we find is typically after you abandon a cart, the first 20 minutes is, is key to get one out. That's a good window. You'll see the highest return in that one, but not giving up after that first one. You want to send, you know, probably another day, the next day. And then two days after that, you don't want to become... You don't want to bombard them, but at the same time, someone might not have, they might've been in a meeting ready to purchase and they had to get, you know, get, they got yanked away. Um, and it's not necessarily, they didn't want to purchase your product. They just didn't have time to complete the order process. So an abandoned cart gives you another opportunity to retarget them and remarket those goods that they left, that they actually spent time to actually put in a cart. Um, so the frequency that you do it, um, we help our customers with this. You either speed it up or you slow it down and you can, you know, if you're, if you're tracking open rates, clicks and conversions, you're going to see the best times and the optimal times to, to send that in a frequency. So I don't think sending just one's the smart thing. I think, you know, an, an active sequence over the course of a week and throughout the month is, is the best, uh, practice ultimately. So if you, you know, a lot of customers aren't sending them or, or don't have some automated process for sending them. So if they're not sending, if they're not sending those emails, they're probably not sending any automated emails. What are the automated emails that every single e-commerce store should have set up? Uh, automated or abandoned carts. Um, if you're not, if you don't have abandoned carts set up right now, let me throw out a large number for you. 60% of your revenue gets abandoned in a cart. Imagine every time that you make $100, that $62 is left on the table. Now, if you have even, say, a low number of a 15% um, return on investment or uh, uh, conversion rate off abandoned cart emails, when you do the math, that number is insane. We had a customer that just one abandoned cart email, right? $25 million company a year. One abandoned cart email, we were bringing in 160K in revenue for them. That's just one. So month after month, 160K just rolling in just by automating an abandoned cart email, not letting customers leave, leave that valuable product that you took so hard so much effort to actually get them to your site and put it in their cart, not just leaving it there. If you're not sending an abandoned cart email, I think you don't like money. 
Well, and outside of abandoned car, we, we've harped on that a little bit, but outside of abandoned car, what, what else? Like, is there a list when someone comes to MageMail, you say, here are the emails you need to set up right now. Do you, you know, is there win back campaigns? Like what are, what are all of the emails that you say everybody absolutely needs to be doing this in some form, shape or fashion? So absolutely. So when we onboard a customer, one, we set up your email, our abandoned car triggers. Two, we make sure that we're setting up win back triggers, order confirmation. Um, we're setting up triggers on new customer reviews, new products. Um, one of our other bigger ones are actually, it's bigger more in the APAC area is net promoter score. You know, sending out content around customer products and letting them choose and tell you how you're doing. So we try to out of the box, get as many of those set up as possible. So the top one, we really focus in on abandoned carts, those win backs, win backs are key. Um, and then also uh, sending a nice personalized birthday wish reminder may sound funny, but if you send a nice birthday wish to someone with a 10% off coupon and products related to them that they've purchased in the past year with you, you're going to see a huge uptick in conversions. Guys, I'm running. I've got a few questions. I got like four or five questions left. You keep your questions coming. Uh, you know, like I said, you're, we're always here for you to steer the conversation wherever you want it to go. So keep those questions coming. Even if you've asked a few, don't be afraid to hog our attention. Just get those questions in and let us know. Um, I'll keep going down my list. But, you know, once that's done, what are we going to talk about if you don't give us something? So um, feel free to ask. Um, with, with more and more of the world, go, go ahead. I would love to hear um, a question uh, or I'd like to hear someone's uh, a problem they're having with a customer that is having a problem with email marketing or abandoned cart triggers. What are some of the things that you coach them through? Um, when we set up partnerships, not just with Martin or with merchants, cause those are my partners too. But when I set up partnerships, I want to, I want to know how you value them and how, how you help them complete problems and tackle them. If you've got a, if you've got something to touch on that, let us know. Um, apparently, um, we're getting some compliments here. Thomas is talking about, he's asking about that Mage Mail t-shirt and how good you look in that Mage Mail t-shirt. So if they need a Mage Mail t-shirt, where, where are they going to get one, man? Where are you going to be next? What event are you going to be at where they can get one of those slick t-shirts? We have a couple um, on the table. And uh, being here about a month and a half, we're, I think we're going to be, we're pretty close to headlining MM18 NYC, um, hammering that out with your partner over there, Mage Mojo and Marsha. Um, unfortunately, I can't be in the UK this month. I'm about to have a kid in the next nine days. So uh, the wife's not going to let me leave the United States for a little bit. Um, you know, if you're looking for merch, you want to find out more, give me a call. I have no problem sending you a t-shirt. Um, we also have, we, we, you and I were talking about different merch and you were just talking about um, how to brand your, your whiskey balls, uh, <laughs> ice balls. So it's, when it comes to having a great t-shirt, I always look at Classy Llama and what they do and um, eventually keep, keep your eyes peeled. We're gonna be moving towards that direction and hopefully um, we can learn some things from them as well. They definitely do a great job with the swag. By the way, if you're looking for a T-shirt, I just put on the screen there, 
Dwayne underscore MM on Twitter. Hit him up. He will mail you. He'll even pay for the postage. I may have stepped out of line a little bit there, but um, hit him up. He'll get you a T-shirt, and you, they should at least be – I think they'll be at Meet Magento New York. So, um, you know, you might take a little chance, but even if they don't show up, it's a great event. So you might as well get there, and uh, you can get lots of T-shirts, including uh, a Mage Mail. We've got a question in chat from Emily, and Emily asks, going to go back to segmentation a little bit. Um, and, and we talked about this a little bit, Emily, if you joined late, but um, we'll touch on it again. What main segmentation strategy should I be using, um, or excuse me, what main segmentation strategy should I be sure I'm using for my customers? You should be making sure that you're talking to the right people. Um, Emily, if you weren't here a little bit earlier, it's finding like-minded individuals, connecting the dots on their past purchases, finding customer reviews around that, um, finding your, identifying your repeat customers and your core customers, right? Because repeat customers may come and go um, through you know, months at a time, your core customers are always going to be buying your product. Finding those outliers as well when you do segmentation will come about when you're starting to break down into, you know, past purchase history, browsing history. Um, you're going to really start. Those are key areas that you should really target in on. Definitely. And and this this broadcast will be available online afterwards if you want to kind of go back. And we we talked about that for quite some time early in the in the broadcast. So, um, you know, and, and always, as always, you can definitely hit up um, hit up Dwayne at uh, Dwayne M.M. Uh, he'll be I'm sure he'll be happy to, to dedicate some time to to helping talk personalization with you individually based on um, your actual needs. Um, I did get confirmation from Eric CEO we went right to the top and he says of course they'll pay for the postage if you need one of those really awesome mage mail t-shirts so thank you Eric for the generosity um, we definitely appreciate it um, and, and Emily said she needed a, a recap there and, and hopefully again if you have more specific questions we'll be happy to answer those um, you know it's whatever whatever you guys want if, we, if you want us to go over it again and we'll we'll talk about it again. So no problem. Um, all right. So I'm going to let's see. I don't think I really I marked this question as done, but I think I is one I was talking about, and then I kind of kind of interrupted you. So um, with more and more of the world going mobile, is there anything that merchants need to be doing to make sure that their email campaigns are mobile friendly? <laughs> So about a month ago, I had a customer um, come from a competitor because when we, when they were getting sent order confirmations on mobile, they weren't able to click into the email and get jump back to the website and it wasn't replenishing the cart. Um, so when it comes to mobile, you want to eliminate as many barriers as possible to that path of purchase. Um, so with this particular customer, we actually had that functionality already built for him. So it was, it was, it was an easy fit for us, but ultimately, um, I think we learned this at meet Magento. What, what's the point or when do you build desire? Right? So sometimes having that barrier builds desire, but when it comes to a quick purchase on a, on a cell phone, you don't really need to build that desire. The desire is already there. there it's in a handheld device. So, Crafting emails with our system 
you you can toggle between desktop and mobile and see how it looks. Um, it's very um, responsive. So it provides the same look and feel, but one thing you want to realize is a desktop is going to give you a wider view. So if you have too much content, a customer is going to have to scroll very far to get to that call to action. So if you need to have a lot of content, you want to, you want to make sure that you have a call to action either, you know, within two seconds of an eye look on the email or on that email on the mobile or at the very top. So if they read half down, Hey, I'm sold. They just scroll to the top, click a button, bam, they're right back there ready to purchase. Um, mobile, mobile is the, the quickest way to earn customers these days. Uh, I'm hardly ever sitting on my desktop unless I'm in my office and I can't really peruse Amazon with everybody around me. So, uh, <laughs> it usually takes place on the, on the cell phone. Yeah. That, I think that, you know, that call to action at the top definitely makes sense. Uh, and it, that kind of goes to my next question I, I have here, and that'll definitely be one of those tips, but let's see if there's anything, anything else there. Um, you know, there's really three things when it comes to a great email campaign and that's getting it to your customer, not hitting the spam folder. That's getting them to actually open the email by having an interesting title or, or subheader. And that's getting them to interact and click to do something, to go to the website, to buy something, to do whatever it is you're trying to get them to do. Um, are there any kind of best practices or things you see with most merchants that, that can improve those three areas? Well, absolutely. Um, understanding. So here, when we work with customers that have a large newsletter list, you know, so we don't, to not hit spam folders or become unsubscribed. We like to throttle and there's a cadence in increasing that number of newsletters in that first time around um, to prevent that from happening. When it comes to transactional emails, those typically are not going to end up in a spam folder. Um, if they do, there's something broken and feel free to reach out to us. We'll help you fix it. Uh, getting them to open it, you know, great titles and subheaders. Those are things that you should really A-B test. I worked with a customer that was struggling with open rates and when she did get open rates, it wasn't leading to conversion. But after running a couple of AB testing, we realized we started playing with the, the color structure in her subject lines. Um, and we found out that using red and red and blue lettering in her email subject lines really spoke uh, to her customers. And she saw one higher clicks that also led to higher conversions because not only was was the emails open because I guess that the colors coincided with her buyers, but we also changed the call to action button to reflect those colors as well. Um, getting them to interact and click on something, be creative, AB test. Uh, like I had mentioned with mobile, having the call to action at the top. Um, when it comes to sending, sending out just emails to send emails, uh, almost like your newsletter, if you're doing it too frequent, keep it short. People get exhausted. We were think of yourself as a as a consumer. What are you going to read? Is it a nine page letter or is it something that's easily digested? You know, I don't typically like bullet points, but bullet points do stick out. That's where eyes are going to go. So if you do use bullet points, make sure that you're using them in an effective manner. And then there's some sort of call to action built in with those bullet points. Another great technique is when you're actually putting out that content and measuring what works is start playing with urgency phrases. 
Um, for instance, if you're using um, order confirmations, make sure that you show that how much inventory you have left. Build that desire. Oh my God, there was 430. Now there's only two of these products. No, I got to get it or I'm going to have to wait an extra three weeks. You know, building that urgency in early and often um, and doing it fluidly is what's really going to make that interaction and clicks skyrocket. Those are great tips. Uh, and by the way, folks, we're, we're pretty much coming up against that hour mark. So we've got a few questions to get to in the chat and uh, keep those questions coming. And, and I'll make Dwayne stay here until we get them all answered. So um, first question, Tiffany in the chat asks, she says, hey, Dwayne, how many times should I email someone in a week? Is there a number that is too high? That's a great question. Um yeah. You, I mean, obviously you don't want to turn people off. Uh, when it comes to traditional B2B marketing, you know, you're, you're looking at maybe once to tw once, twice a week. Um, if you're looking for lead nurturing and bringing them to the top of your funnel, when it's B2C, um, you'll s pay attention to the open rates, right? With those customers. So if you're sending them 10 emails in a month and they only open two, maybe back it down to like four to five and make sure that the content that's in it um, is more relevant to what they're looking for. Cause eventually if they're only looking at two of the 20% of the emails that you send, um, that's a customer that's probably going to fall to the wayside and, and they're going to automatically put you in that spam button or they're going to hit that unsubscribe. Now, if you see customers that are gobbling up your content, you don't want to just start flooding them, you know, with more content. You just want to make sure how long they're staying and reading that email if they clicked on those actions. So that, that'll help build engagement and you can gauge off of your frequency from there. Um, and that major, we can actually help you do that with, with our analytics suite. Yeah. That's usually how we advise merchants. If you're sending garbage to your merchants or to your customers, then sending it once is too much. But if you're sending quality content that they love and they engage with, and you're putting a lot of effort into, into that content, then, then you may be able to increase that, that, you know, the quantity that you're actually sending them. Uh, but you've got to make sure you're focused on quantity or quality over quantity. Right. I mean, I th think that's pretty much what you said, right? Absolutely. Um, it and it really doesn't, don't get, don't get hung up on clicks and, and conversions, you know, um, for instance, at a customer, they were trying to send out promotions and they're sending out 20, 30, 50% promotions. Wasn't seeing much success. And to relate to back to what you were saying, TJ is they were just trying to discount their product. So it was kind of coming across as this is garbage, um, without naming the customer. But we focused, we had them focus and reorient their emails, not necessarily on how cheap they could purchase the product, but the value that the product actually provided to them. And what they saw is it was actually lower clicks, but it was a higher conversion. Um, and now ultimately that's, that's where a good AB testing will allow you to know um, if you're sending garbage or not. 
Right. And we, we've got another great question in the chat from uh, Brianna. Uh, and, and I'm going to try to clarify this one a little bit. Brianna, let me know if we're misunderstanding your question. But she says, how many emails does it take on average for a customer to return and purchase? So reading between the lines, I'm assuming she's talking about a win back campaign. Uh, you know, once you've actually got a customer, how, you know, are you seeing kind of that magic number of, uh, average number of reach outs and attempts it takes to to maybe get the, those people back and in, into being a repeat customer? And, and that's a great question. There is a magic number. I don't want to say it's unique to business to business or merchant to merchant. Ultimately, what we find is industry by industry, you're going to you're going to start to see that unique number. Um, I always relate that unique number to seeing when, if you take a large pool of your customers and see the exact email, if you're tracking it, what leads to the highest conversion, what leads to the highest click. No, then once you figure that part out, start working your way back. What was that sequence? Because it's not necessarily a number of emails. It may be the sequence of the emails, right? How many times have you sent it? What was the days between? How did you build urgency? So when working with customers, being able to identify, you know, that exact aha moment where a customer um, is ready to buy is something that we, we, we pride ourselves on. There was, there was that first quote at Magento Netherlands. Um, at what point do your pro do what point do your customers become addicted to your product? I've heard this asked several different ways. This week, this has kind of been my mantra. At what point do your customers become addicted to your product? So if you really want to find that out, feel free to reach out to me. Um, I would love to show you how we can help you accomplish that. Yeah, I show the subtitles down there because I got slick buttons over here to do crazy stuff like that. <laughs> Reach out, Dwayne MM at, at Twitter. Um, we've got the Guardian, Mr. Ohio in the house. Thanks for watching. Um, he gives the uh, advice to use alt tags in your emails as well. Um, it helps people that initially block images, for instance, and they'll know what your content is and to unblock it. And, and alt tags are fantastic. And especially if you have a crowd that tends to skew a little more um, security conscious like programmers oftentimes do. Um, and, and so, you you know, lots of times they'll have stuff like that turned on. And a lot of email programs block images by default. So alt tags are definitely um, a, a great thing. Emily asks, how personalized should my emails be then? What's the best way to personalize them? <laughs> um, how, do per how personalized should my emails be? You know what? I was, I actually came across this case study last night, um, from Jetbit. They don't do email automation. They're talking about how creepy personalization can be. So think about this. Now, if you have Wi-Fi on your phone and you walk into a, a store, I don't know if you've seen these emails, but when you walk out, you're going to get an email offer. Hey, I just noticed you're in this store. Um, so being that personalized can kind of be a turnoff, right? <laughs> but People want to read something that's that's of interest to them. So it, I'm going to re relate it back to not sending people, you know, products that's not related to them. Sending high heels to men that will wear Hawaiian shirts and flip flops takes the cake, you know. And I see it done all the time. 
So when you're personalizing, just understand it, it, it gives you the opportunity to become more intimate with your customers. And that's the way you should look at it. If, if you're, if you're just sending them products to just send products, you're not personalized. If you're sending them products related around your past purchases, their browsing history, that's, that's pretty personalized. You're not sending them garbage. You're sending them something that you know, they'll like, and if they don't like it, you know, obviously they're going to come and they're going to look for other products that are around that. You know, sometimes it may be like, um, I have a customer that sells handbags and we help them. They were just blasting out handbags to customers. We helped them segment, you know, women that had purchased, uh, this certain type of handbag in the past six months. And then we went out actually 18 months and we, we had three lists built off of that. Each one was differently personalized, but as we went farther out, 18 months became a little bit less personal. Right. But what we found is, you know, still providing relevant content to that customer. It re-engaged them, even the ones that are 18 months out and brought them back closer to the top of the funnel. Essentially personalization is built for you to start talking to customers that are ready to buy today. And if you're sending them relevant content, it's going to bring those customers that might buy tomorrow back up into the top of your funnel a lot quicker. Yeah, a great comment here in the chat uh, from The Guardian and uh, James. And uh, he mentions that uh, each industry is different. For instance, people in the gardening horticulture industry may get spooked out by personalizations in terms of, you know, hello, TJ or something like that. But people in tech, it, it might be normal. So basically, it depends on your audience as to how personalized you want to get. And, and there's a famous case study that um, Target put out. I, and I, I forget the exact story, but basically it boils down to they sent they they did some big data analysis and they sent personalized mailers, physical mailers to people's houses. And they knew if someone bought these three seemingly unrelated products, if they bought all three of them, then more than likely they're pregnant. And they sent a physical mailer to a 17-year-old girl's house congratulating her on her pregnancy because she had purchased these three products. And um, But... They target knew she was pregnant before her dad knew that she was pregnant. And he came up to the store demanding an apology. Come to find out Target was right. And so Target actually had to tone that campaign back. And they still sent the personalization stuff with the, the pregnancy stuff, but they mixed it into an assortment of other products. So it seemed random, like, oh, what a coincidence. They sent me some stuff that has some pregnancy stuff in it. You, you've definitely got to find your industry and test how personalized you can be. Because at some point, if you go far enough, it's going to creep everybody out. <laughs> And you, you, you said, you, you said a key word there. They made assumptions and in AB testing and personalizations, we make a lot of assumptions, but you can make wrong assumptions very quickly. So being able to analyze the data and not making, um, assumptions that ultimately are going to lead to some poor girl getting ringed out by her dad, um, <laughs> <laughs> you know, it's kind of like when you get those emails, Hey, when was the last time you checked your warranty on your refrigerator? 
Well, I don't. I rent an apartment. Um, you know, making an assumption that I'm a homeowner isn't personalized, but making assumptions on someone being pregnant is that's a risky thing to do. Um, and so I would steer clear of making assumptions like that. Assuming a customer is going to like, you know, a new sundress or they're going to like a specific product based off of what they've reached out or picked. Those are good assumptions to make. But life-altering assumptions, steer clear of that. (laughs) Just calling anybody pregnant when you don't know is not a good thing. Just stay away from it. Don't do that. That's just a bad idea in general. But that—that's some famous speech somebody gave. I, you know, you can probably Google it and find more information about that. Keep your questions coming. Like I said, we'll keep going as long as we're providing some value and helping you guys out with your questions. We do have a couple of more in chat here. Aaron asks, in terms of building urgency with emails, um, do you find sheer numbers like 50 left or verbiage like limited quantities are almost sold out work better for building that urgency or do you have maybe maybe you have some other tips around creating that yeah so those those will work um and they can be effective certain subset of customers but when you think about buying when you think of urgency and building that approach around it start thinking about why that customer actually put that in their cart right why would they purchase your product why do they need it now why can they not function day to day without that product? Not necessarily limited qualities. I like the little orders like you have two, there's two remaining 435 left because it's, it's not as intrusive as limited qualities. That kind of comes off as a little bit sales pitchy, but Hey, this is being infrequently bought right now, you know, in, in building that urgency and building those statements around limited quality before that, providing the value of your product first, will go over a lot better. Um, And it usually takes one to two sentences. I I hope I answered your question, Aaron. Yeah, and if we didn't, call us out on it. Let us know that we didn't get you an answer, and we will do what we can to make sure we do get that answered. Um, Carl in the chat says, what's the common denominator when it comes to Mage Mail's customers who are recovering, adding the most revenue? Like, is there some key statistic for those customers that are the most successful using your platform? They, they are willing to fail. Um, and I say that because they're willing to try things to see if they succeed. And once they find, cause it only takes you one time to succeed. Right. And when you succeed, you don't really have to build upon that. That gives you opportunities to set it and go and start working for other key areas. So the customers that are constantly engaged, um, and reach out for help if they don't understand something are the ones that have the most success. I, I, I love I love the customers that are willing to email me ten times a day to get something right. That gets, I mean, anybody that knows me, you have to be obsessed with what you do, right? To be successful at it. And if you're successful at it at your first go, you're probably a company like Apple or Walmart. <laughs> you know, so there's not much I can help you with. You're already a genius. But if you're willing to learn from your mistakes and understand that every mistake that you make is leading you closer to ultimate success, we are going to help you make a lot of money. 
And we're going to help you do it in a very quick manner that doesn't turn off your customer base. All right, fellas, I'm out of ice here. You know, we got to, you got to keep those questions coming. If I start drinking it warm, that's bad news. So um, we do have a few more questions in the chat. Uh, keep the questions coming. Um, I'm going to jump ahead a little bit here. Um, I'm going to get to Christopher's got a great question. I'm going to get back to that in a second, but I want to jump right to the meat here. And Emily's like, how do I set up a demo for Mage Mail? Absolutely. Just go to magemail.com. Um, we don't hide our schedule a demo button. You can also find me on LinkedIn. You can also reach out to me via my Twitter channel. Um, if you want to schedule a demo, ultimately what I say is let's jump on the phone, schedule it. You can pick and time, pick and choose your time. Um, I work with a lot of customers overseas, so we like to give you the opportunity to schedule your time. I have no problem working 24 hours a day, seven days a week. Uh, as TJ alluded to earlier in our conversation, Marso will always take you at 2 a.m. to 4 a.m. Um, so I'm used to working those hours. If you want to schedule a demo, please just go to the website. It's right there on the front page. It's in the top right corner of my website as well. And I just posted a link to it in the chat. That is magemail.co. Um, and you should be able to click schedule uh, a demo. I link to it in the chat. So you should be able to go straight to that if you choose to do so. So I'm going to get back to Christopher's um, question here. And this touches on, on something we were kind of talking about. But what other emails are good to generate revenue aside from abandoned carts? Like abandoned carts is numero uno. You're losing a bunch of stuff to abandoned carts, a bunch of revenue to abandoned carts. So, so you definitely want to do that first. But after you've got that set up, what emails are you seeing the most improvement as far as revenue generation uh, from? It'd be it would probably be winbacks, right? Um, and then also customer reviews. People people feel more comfortable buying something that has been recommended, whether or not they know that customer. Those customer reviews are key, and if you don't have them, we can help you find them. Um, we can help you set up campaigns to get customer reviews on your products. Um, but ultimately, you want to think about how can I relate very quickly to a customer I don't know. And if they've, if you've noticed that they're looking at a certain product on your site, being able to, or they've abandoned a certain product, being able to shoot them over a view within the first 20 minutes or then the first two days, you're going to see the highest return. Okay. Uh, and we've got another question here, uh, Jamie in the chat. And I apologize, Jamie, if I mispronounce your name. It, it appears as though um, I, I like to try to get everyone's name right. So if I mess that up, please let me know. Um, and, but she touches on a topic we, we spoke about just a few moments ago, but um, it, she adds a little bit to it. So her question being, how many times should I email someone a week? But also, what time of day slash day of the week is optimal. And I'll touch on that for just a second here. Jamie, kind of kind of what we got to was it depends. If you're sending quality uh, and you're really focused on the quality of your content and relating that to your customers, then the frequency can be a little higher. You don't want to bombard your customers. Uh, you you, you want to send at least once, I would think, if, you know, if you're producing something of quality. But if you're producing garbage content, then sending it at all is probably a waste of time. So focus on really 
really good value producing content. And then you're going to want to test um, what your market will bear as far as the frequency goes. Um, as far as, you know, what, what day, day of the week is optimal, it, it probably goes back to that same question in that it depends on your market. So my question to you, Dwayne, would be, what, how do you find that out? Like if you, you've got a market, everything's a little bit individual based on your list. How do I go about finding out what the frequency and the best day and time are to send my emails? So you can track the opens, clicks, and, and conversions, right? So over, say, you run a two-week campaign and that you notice on day four, email three, that that's the highest click. Well, you also know that day six, um, you have the highest conversion. So if after day six, you, you, that's the highest conversion, typically when you see that tipping point, it starts becoming annoying to keep sending emails. So we can help you identify those key times and then also set sending windows based upon those rules. So imagine recognizing those times in a certain segment of customers and being able to set all your email communication in those sending windows when they typically open. Um, you're going to see higher open rates and click-through rates at that point. Because they're always, you know that that's when that customer is ready to hear what you have to say. Now, if, there, if, you're, if you have a customer or a segment of customers that never open emails past 7 o'clock, why would you send an email past 7 o'clock? So identifying what times a day is just taking the large group. You're always going to have outliers. But you're going to see some commonality with your segmented list on when is the best time. It's usually a two-hour window with um, if you have a really good segmented list. If, you're, if you struggle with segmentation, you're going to find that that window can vary from two to four hours. Um, but you're still in a good time frame. So if it's two hours out from when they actually are ready to eat, read your email, chances are they're going to go back and read it later on that night, which you want to make sure that um, you kind of track that information as well. So if you send it too early, what is the delta between the, ne the next time they actually read that email? Yeah, and I guess that, that would be my question. Like, is it better to do it on opens? Obviously, they've got to open it to interact with it. But is it better to to time it on the open or time it on the interaction? Because a lot of people, me in particular, I'll see an email, I'll look at it, and I'll, you know, I'll pass, and then I'll come back to uh, it sometime and then click on it. Maybe I'll come back to it. Maybe I don't. But uh, if I open it back up later and then I click on it because I was interested, but I was busy. So, uh, you know, would you would it be better off to maybe pay attention to the times people actually interact with the email versus the times that they open? Absolutely. But to kind of compound on that. So remember when I was talking about that customer sending emails out for uh, coupon codes and discounts versus value. So although clicks, high clicks are something that you really want, ultimately the conversion is what's going to lead to the, the to affecting your bottom line overall. So for a customer like take you, for example, if you open my email and then it takes you two to three days to actually make the purchase, what I would like to start doing and what we do with our customers would actually measure what is that time frame. And if it's three days, guess what? On that second day, I'm shooting you another email prompt. 
Cause like you said, I may click open it, want to buy it, but days have passed and I forgot. So if you're measuring clicks, also measure when they actually purchase and the customers that haven't purchased, try to figure out that drop off of when, when is, when are they done with that email? So if two to three days pass and you haven't re-engaged that customer to purchase, you should really start doing so. So you can then start to frame your sending window at that point. Because not every customer is going to behave the same way. The commonalities are where we're going to lie and increase. But there are customers out there that, you know, I, and my, myself to be included, I abandon carts all the time. Right? It's just a, it's the nature of the business. But the, the, the companies that effectively reach me with a reach back out in 48 hours, um, even if I just open their email, are the ones that gain my trust in my business because they want it, right? They're trying to communicate with me. They're trying to tell me why I need their product. They're not sending the same email messaging. Um, and if you do send the same email, you're not going to see success out of it. So having a fallback or a win back trigger set up two days after an open on a product that you're looking to get rid of will actually help build that urgency as well to go back to Aaron's comment. Um, we've got a great suggestion here in the chat from the guardian. Uh, most, let me see if I can send it up there. Most studies support that sending emails Tuesday, Wednesday, or Thursday will yield the best results. So if you boil it down, you want to send your email campaign on a midweek day in the afternoon. And then that's definitely industry-wide studies. That's usually um, pretty accurate there with, with what we've recommended to merchants, but test, like start with this, like take, take the industry wide expectations, start with that and then test. Um, don't, don't trust anybody when it comes to getting the most out of what you're doing, because your market is a little bit different than everyone else's. So make sure you test and, and see, maybe it's the best, maybe it's not. Um, only a, an, an AB test of some sorts will tell you that. And, and to build on that. Yeah. Um, B2B. Tuesday, Wednesday, and Thursday is great. When it comes to B two C, um, these that's a that's more of a pleasure purchase, right? Um, contacting people in between office hours, you will see Tuesday, Wednesday, and Thursday higher clicks, but you'll also see an influx on Saturday and Sunday morning um, when customers actually have a time to sit back down at their laptop as well. Um, so I always recommend, you know, if you. If you did see clicks on Tuesday, Wednesday, and Thursday, but haven't seen any conversions, you know, try to target them early in the morning. So when they wake up, um, they see it on their phone. They're already, they have the time to go back in and purchase as well. Um, but I do find B2B, you know, typically Tuesday, Wednesday, and Thursday, right times. Yeah, definitely a good starting point. Um, next question, Carl in the chat here is asking plain text or design templates and why? He wants to know why. Not not just an answer. Make sure you touch on why. <laughs> well, it depends on what you're, what you're trying to sell. I mean, if you're a clothing store, um, plain text isn't going to go over really well. Um, so being able to easily design and craft you know, templates is for the retail business is huge. Um, if you're selling a B2B product, I, I personally, and, and I've noticed that the less design work that goes into a B2B email, 
um, that gets into the nuts and bolts of what you're trying to get to them is more well-perceived. You're talking about business versus pleasure. Okay. Um, next question in the chat. And uh, we've got Thomas asking, do you always send coupons? How much is too much of a discount? So when sending emails, how frequently do you want to send discounts and coupons? Because typically, typically the general rule of thumb is, is you don't want to build a brand based on discounts. And, and if you continue to train your customers to expect discounts, they'll always expect discounts and they won't buy unless they're getting some sort of discount. So it's a great question by Thomas. How, how often do you, do you advise people to send discounts or coupons and, and how much is too much of a discount? Too much of a discount, you gotta pay attention to your bottom line. How is it gonna affect it? And I'll go back to that customer that was sending out discounted coupons versus uh, value-based coupons. So what they actually saw when we got the results of the, the discounted uh, emails that were sent out, they were negative 8% on their bottom line versus the value-based email that affected their, their bottom line by plus 30%. So I do think discounts do engage customers and coupons do engage customers. You don't want to give away your product because you know what? Your product's worth more than that. And if it's not and you need to sell discounts, that may be your business model and you have to understand that your bottom line is going to be a lot different. You got to be comfortable with what you're giving away. I always find that when selling products, it's more about the value the customer is going to get not necessarily the value you see in your product, but the value they see. And that comes back to the personalization. Now, if a customer sees the value in your product, they don't need a discount or incentive to actually purchase your product. The most effective way I've actually seen customers use discounts. Um, and here's a, here's a great tip for you guys out there listening. If, if you need to understand your email database and you need to understand how to segment people, it's great to incentivize people with a coupon to update their profiles and preferences that will keep them engaged with you. And it will help you personalize your communication with them. Not only will it do that and make them feel more welcome that you understand and giving them an incentive to do it. It also gives you the opportunity to understand behavioral data, and the overall cost and effectiveness that your product has for that customer. Um, so if you're going to use discounts, I would say incentivize them in a way that it's not necessarily around purchasing your product. Incentivize them to become more personal with you. And it's kind of like Bed Bath & Beyond sends you that flyer with a 10% coupon. Not personal. It's nice when, when you can double it up. But it's more of... It's more of if they actually sent me a coupon saying, hey, I'll give you 50% off. We just kind of want to know these questions about you and your behavior. I'm much more likely to fill that survey out. And that survey for marketers, you utilizing those answers is going to lead to a very impactful content for you. 
Yeah. And, and if a merchant asked me that question, like how much discount is too much? This is how I would advise them. Uh, a couple of things you want to do, but one, one of the really big things is maximizing your customer's value. It's expensive to obtain customers in any shape, form, or fashion. It's it's costs a lot of money to get a new customer. It is a lot cheaper to get a customer to order again than it is to get that customer the first time. So what you want to do is make sure you have programs, including good email programs around maximizing that customer's lifetime value. And you want to measure and track what that customer's lifetime value is. Make sure you understand exactly what every customer you obtain is worth on average. And there may be times to where you actually, if cash flow permits actually break even or lose money to get that customer down the funnel. There are instances where merchants understand if someone buys twice from them, they're going to buy 20 times. Uh, and so it, you want to really do all you can to get those two purchases, even if you don't make any money on it, because you know you're going to make money on the next 18. So it, it really depends on your market, but make sure you understand and that you're marketing to cash flow permitting your customer's lifetime value and not what that individual purchase is worth. Because if you can get them in your funnel and you can get them interacting with you regularly, they become worth a lot more money. And sometimes a coupon that that loses a little bit of money for you is worth it to move that customer along in that journey. But if you're not tracking those numbers and you don't know what those customers are worth and you're not doing things to maximize that value, then that's just a losing strategy. Um, so long story short, do a better job tracking the value of your customers and how much of a discount depends on your your actual business. And, uh, and the, if you don't mind, um, you know, Discounting to, to, to incentivize to, to build those profile and preferences. So taking a look at your loyalty and rewards campaigns. Um, your repeat customers, obviously you want to incentivize them to buy, but you don't have to discount them that much. They've hit that point where they're addicted to your product, as you had mentioned. Um, but building rewards programs and incentivizing them to increase purchase frequency, it's not going to affect your bottom line too much but it's also going to build and speed up that becoming addicted to purchasing your product, becoming familiar with utilizing your um, website. And also, you know, they understand that, Hey, I'm, I've been a customer within six months. I've purchased four products. They've treated me great. They just sent me a 25% off coupon of my overall next purchase order because I'm now part of the rewards program. Sounds kind of funny, but it works. Um, and that's something that we actually automate here as well. All right, next question from Jamie in the chat, and, and we're going to get to all of your questions, uh, so keep them coming. Uh, is there a way to avoid emails we send out entering people's junk mails? What are what are tips to make sure that it doesn't hit that pesky Gmail spam filter? Depends on what kind of email you're looking to send. If it's newsletters, um, you got to really if you start working with a new ESP or you get a larger list, you want to make sure that you throttle it. So you don't freak out in boxes. Um, understanding that cadence and how to, how to ramp up properly to where the next month you're actually, you can send it out to the, the full amount of your list. I recommend, I, I recommend finding out what, 
I recommend finding a, an amount of customers to start with your newsletters to send out. So that way you don't freak out inboxes or spam boxes. Um, and then next it really comes down to the frequency, the spam folder after on order confirmations, your abandoned carts, those are not really generated from an inbox that's generated from the user. So that kind of goes back to how frequent do you reach out to a customer? You're reaching out to the relevant content. They're not going to put it in the spam box because it's always interesting to them. But if you're sending them two to three emails a week that don't pertain to that customer, you're going to end up in that spam box. You're going to get an unsubscribe. So pay attention to your customer's behavioral data, analyze it, understand when's the best time, what's the best time frequency to do so. Another question here from Jamie in the chat, and this is a great question. I've seen a lot of people um, do this multiple ways. And as an email sign off, would you recommend, or even a from email address, uh, a from email address being being even uh, more important, I think, than the sign off, would you recommend it coming from the company um, or someone's personal name? For instance, would it come from this email is from MageMail or this email is from Jamie or Jamie at MageMail, uh, you know, what what are your best practices around the from email address and the signature in that email? So that's a great question. So if it's B2B, you want to make sure that you're communicating that it's you. You don't know no B2B developer or um, agency out there is going to answer something from hello at MageMail. Right. But they will answer something that says, Hey, my name is Dwayne. I'm a VP of sales at MageMail. Cause it's more personalized. You're talking, you're then engaging in a conversation with the person, whether or not that email has been sent out to 500 people or a thousand people. Now, when it comes to retailers, if it's your newsletter, you don't want it to come from the store. You want it to come from the CEO or the VP of e-commerce or the head of e-commerce. If it's, if it's a generalized newsletter as well, you can you can say, hey, it's Swag UK here, um, which is actually one of the customers I had mentioned earlier on that sends out the best emails. They're not, it's not personalized to their company, but it is. Because the look and feel makes you feel like you're back on the website. So when it comes to B2C customers, you want to make it, you want to make sure it's not necessarily who it's from. You want to make sure it's it looks and feels like your website and it's clean. But when it comes to B2B, you really want to make sure you're hammering home that it's personalized. It's you. It's not just accounts at MageMail or info at MageMail. Yeah, it's definitely better to add some personality to it and add a person. Um, I've actually seen companies create a fake person that doesn't actually exist um, and, and use that as like the personality on the emails. Uh, I, I don't know if I necessarily recommend that strategy, but I do like the idea of adding a person. The great thing about a fictitious person is they never leave the company. Uh, but it, it's, you know, it's, it's one of those. I, I do like the strategy and it does 
does seem in, in my experience to have um, significant benefits. Uh, next, hey, keep your questions coming. Again, we've got uh, at least 20 more minutes go to go here. And if you keep asking great questions, I may keep them longer. I don't want to get home and do that honeydew list. I mean, I got it. She's got all sorts of things she's planning on me doing tonight. I would rather be here helping you people send better email. So Brianna asked a question in the chat. How long should my product descriptions be? And again, I'm assuming, Brianna, that you're talking about in emails. Um, but if not, clarify, let me know. We're talking about emails here. So I'm assuming that that's just an assumption. So what, what are your thoughts around how, the length of the description in emails when you're showing products? In emails, short and sweet, right? You want to show the value of the product within six, seven words. What you ultimately want to do, if you want to get a deep product description, you want to put that see more button and when they click on it, it brings you back to the website, right? Cause then once they're back on your website, they have other options to purchase like-minded products. So you got to think of email as kind of uh, speed dating. <laughs> you don't want to, you don't want to tell them all of your problems or everything about you in that first two seconds. You want to entice them enough that they feel the need to click on that product and go back to your website to find other products that accompany that product. I hope that was helpful. Yeah. And, and again, if you're not talking about necessarily email descriptions, we'll try to answer that question as well. Just just clarify in the chat if you would, and we will make sure we get that answered. Um, Trang in the chat asked another great question. Um, what's the best kind of social proof to have on my site for new customers to see? And, and we're not necessarily talking social proof on this, on this live stream, but social proof is one of those things that I've seen pop up more and more over the last couple of years where basically you show, hey, so-and-so bought this, or we've sold a, you know 10 of these in the last hour, or you've got a lot of little things you can do to show that other people are buying something. Oh my God, I, I need this because other people are buying it. Um, does MageMail do any sort of social proof when it comes to email marketing, or do you just have any thoughts in general? Even if you don't do it, what are your thoughts around social proof? Absolutely. We do that. That's part of our customer review package, right? Um, if you have a Facebook page and customers are likely to leave a review there versus your website, we want to make sure that we're able to circulate that. Um, so we can actually pull that data as long as, as long as your Facebook's integrated and we have that information um, readily available to pull. Sometimes you have to do it manually, but ultimately we can do it automated. Um, from our product as well, from our platform. But I mean, that comes back to, you, you nailed it on the head, TJ. It's, it's about, Hey, this person bought it. They sound kind of like me. I get the value of the product. Let's go. Uh, we've got another question here. And of course, if we didn't answer that question, please let us know if that's not the answer you're looking for. We'll be happy to touch on it a little more. All we've got is a short chat question. Sometimes we misunderstand that happens. Uh, so the next question from Carolina, I've got, a, we've got a definite answer for this one. Absolutely. She says, uh, works for an e-commerce development agency. Does MageMount do partnerships? Absolutely. Um, contact me after this, Caroline. 
uh, or Carolina, and I'd, I'd love to have a quick chat with you. We've got one here, another one from Carolina. What, what's the pricing for MageMail? That's a great question. How does MageMail do pricing? <laughs> so we charge 3% of our revenue attribution. If we're, as of right now, if we are not working for you, we're not we're not improving or increasing your revenue. We're not going to get paid. Um, what we have noticed since we've made this um, transition to revenue attribution that um, it doesn't work with certain, certain segments of our market. And over the next week, we are going to be introducing a more progressive uh, pricing plan. So to answer your question, as of right now, we're looking at 3% revenue attribution over $500. Um, in the next two weeks, I'd love to talk to you offline, Carolina. And then that's way, that way we can, um, kind of tell you what's up, what's up and coming. Okay. So it's right now it's 3% and you're kind of evolving that a little bit in the coming months. I know, you know, the, the company is looking to grow and, and to change that revenue model to appeal to a broader array of merchants. Um, so if anybody's interested, Hit up Dwayne. You can hit him up on Twitter right there, Dwayne underscore MM, or he just posted his email address in the chat. Please spam the hell out of him. Send him a bunch <laughs> of questions. Uh, you know, he's there. He's just there for answers. He's got nothing else to do all day anyway, other than answer your questions. So send them in, please. Um, with that, uh, unless anybody's got any other questions, I'm going to call it quits and then I'm going to have to go home and do my honeydew list and all the things my wife's got planned for me this weekend. And I'm upset because I was hoping we could stretch this out another 15 minutes to deliver that that inevitable reality um so Dwayne thanks oh, Jill for, is oh and she's wonderful my wife is fantastic she's watching the live stream I'm sure uh, at least she watched part of it I don't know if she's watching all of it um I I joke but um she she is a pleasure to be around I still don't like doing chores regardless of how awesome my wife is um but you know, it is what it is. Um, right, look, we got one more question. This is the last question. We're going to take this one and then we are going to get off of here. Tiffany says, how can I repair relationships with customers who aren't coming back? So I, I got that order. I got that one order and now they're gone. Um, and, and I've sent them email and how do I like, how do I repair that relationship or, or maybe, maybe they're long-term customers and now they've just kind of moved on to someone else. Uh, maybe, maybe my website was slow. Maybe I've made mistakes. Maybe I, the problem is me, but I fixed that. How do I, how do I win them back? Start to understand why they chose your product over a competitor and build from there understand their browsing history and their purchase history. And if they've, so leads that have just decreased frequency in purchasing, they just need a bigger push. So start using that relevant content to bring them back to the top of the sales funnel. As I had mentioned before, relevant content, we're always, the ones that are ready to go are gonna purchase today, they're ready to go. But use relevant content to bring those customers that have decreased in frequency back into the top of your sales funnel, right? In your purchasing funnel. So that's the best way I, I would recommend to start. Um, I don't know quite where you're at in your process, Tiffany, but I, I always tell my customers that's a good, that's 
why did they purchase in the first place? Yeah, what what got them through that journey, and and see if you could reverse engineer that. We've got one more came in from Charlie. I'm I said that was the last question. I'm going to go ahead and answer it, Charlie, because I'm just here to serve you. I'm here to help you. So we we've already touched on this topic. So I'm not sure how in depth we're going to go. It, it, this video it'll take 30 minutes or so, but it will then be available on the YouTube channel. Hit that subscribe button, and you'll see all the videos that we post, um, and, and you'll be able to kind of watch back through and catch some of the stuff we talked about as far as abandoned carts. Um, but I'm going to go ahead. Uh, Charlie asks, what are the best practices to recover abandoned carts? Uh, and let's just kind of recap what we talked about earlier on that. Okay. So one, start with the sequence, you know, first 20 minutes is key. Um, you know, work out your sequence two to three days later, two to three, four days later, if you're not seeing the highest return on abandoned carts, also look at your checkout process. Is it shipping that's keeping them? Is it, you're not providing free shipping? Is your shipping cost too much? Is it going to take too long for them to get there? Ultimately, if you have nine to 10 steps for a customer to purchase your product, you're going to see a huge abandoned cart rate. Um, and if they have to frequently change their email to engage with you, you're also going to see a high abandoned cart rate. So if it's not necessarily the email communication afterwards, bringing them back, start looking at the overall purchasing path because the lower the barrier there is, the quicker they're going to be able to, the, the, the quicker they will be able to purchase and get through. And so I am out of whiskey and we are going to call it quits again, hit the thumbs up on the video, please subscribe to the channel, tap the notification bell. We're going to do this every Friday. I'm not exactly sure who the guest is next Friday. I've got, um, I know I've got, um, Nexus coming up talking about some new things they're announcing around Magento hosting. And then we've got uh, uh, some SEO, uh, an SEO expert coming on in a few weeks. Um, I believe next week is still open. I'm still working on a guest. So if you would just go ahead and post a ch post in the chat, let me know what topic you want me to talk about. I'll find a guest. We'll talk about it next week. Uh, we'll get this right away. There's no need to wait. So uh, I appreciate everyone watching and I look forward to seeing y'all in the next video.